0: They'd say, "How are you?" And he would start to say, oh, "Pretty good." I mean, I, I don't know what. And they would be—they wouldn't even stop walking by. A- and it was such a curious thing to him, and and he kind of would start to try to see who was listening. And and so if they were to ask, uh, "How are you doing?" He'd say, "Not much." If they were to say, "What's going on?" Oh, I'm pretty good. And just kind of see if they would catch it. Apparently, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our 32nd president was quite the kidder and this is one of the things that he would do just to kind of check to see if staff or follow, uh, fellow politicians were paying any attention. They would, would ask him, you know, how was your day or, or how are you Mr. President and kind of move right on into, into uh, what they wanted to talk about and, and he was known to respond with one specific statement that he made sometimes was, I murdered my grandmother this morning which incidentally he probably would have had to resurrect her and then murder her. But, but one attentive staff person did respond with, it's okay, Mr. President, I'm sure she had it coming, yeah. <laughs> and then continued on. Of course, this would have been probably the more shocking of the statements he would have made because murder is what we call a capital crime. Murder is something, and being a capital crime calls for capital punishment. A capital crime is something that is punishable by death or a person at least losing their their liberty, losing their freedom for the rest of their life. Uh, unfortunately, the 21-year-old airman that was arrested this week and charged with a will be charged with likely a capital crime of treason for releasing secrets. Genesis 9 actually is the place where God announces that murder is specifically a devastating sin. And it's devastating because people are made in the image of God. In fact, he tells Moses and, the, and his people from that point forward, if any man takes the life of another man from that man, his life will I require from him. Because man is made in the image of God. Jesus helps us to understand in our passage here today that God's perfect righteousness means that smaller sins are more condemnable, are more damning than we might expect. Every single sin, every sin, even the sin of anger... Or insensitivity and dismissiveness are really capital crimes by God's standards of righteousness. We look this morning at the capital offense of anger. And we pick up in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of, to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is going to make these statements six times through this passage, through, through these, uh, this place that we are at in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said. And this is the way that typically a rabbi or teacher of that day would begin his teaching and he's about to expound upon the law of Moses, uh, the law of the Old Testament and what was taught, the Jewish law or traditions. But Jesus would follow up with, but I say to you. And this part is what, it, it means that Jesus spoke with the authority of God. And people definitely notice this. In this section we see Jesus state the expectation of the old covenant. You have heard it said, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And he follows up with the obedience in the, what obedience in the new covenant relationship with God should mean. That new covenant that he would inaugurate in his blood. And all the while we should be reminded of how grateful we should be for God's grace if we know Christ as our Savior. Jesus' teachings in Matthew will have mixed audiences, okay? So we'll always need to recognize that what it meant to those who were following him, but also what we would need to recognize what it meant for those who were rejecting him as well. There's plenty on the Sermon on the Mount, in this this Sermon on the Mount that we are in for both of these groups. The Sermon on the Mount reminds us that grace teaches us true obedience out of reverence and gratitude. So Jesus elaborates on his expectations for changed hearts in his followers as we continue. you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You know, I enjoy detective shows. I, I especially enjoy reality detective shows. I think I'm comforted with the fact that there are men and women out there that are seeking justice, that are seeking truth. Typically, these shows deal, uh, that I watch deal with homicide detectives who are speaking or working for the dead. And often when the detective brings a suspect in for questioning, the person is just kind of blowing them off. Just kind of like, whatever, you know, I'm not scared of you. And the detectives often will ask the person, do you recognize what department you are sitting in right now? It's the homicide department. And the idea with their question there is is meaning, this is serious. This is not a game. In the same way, Jesus reveals the standard of God's righteousness and tells us to see anger as a serious offense to God the context here, recall, Jesus has made two curious statements about obedience to God's law just earlier in his message here. First, he confirmed that he wasn't throwing out the law of Moses. In uh, verse 17, just before this, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I appreciated a statement that I heard uh, this past week, and it was this. It is easy for us to have an overly simplistic idea about the law of Moses. The, this, this overly simplistic idea is that in the law there is no grace, and that in grace there is no law. That is an overly simplistic approach to the Old Testament and New Covenant, the New Testament. And that's what Jesus Is partly getting across here. We also saw that Jesus' followers should expect him to teach a higher standard of obedience. Than even what the Old Testament law was expecting. He said this in verse 20. I tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again remember. Remember. Jesus is speaking to both the audience that is listening and seeking to follow him. And they will be led into his grace as they receive him as their savior due to his death and resurrection. And those also listening to him are rejecting him. And they will likely, being of this, this is of the Jewish crowd, they will likely continue on thinking that, okay, my good is just going to outweigh my bad. I just got to make sure I do my best with this Mosaic law. And to, to this situation, Jesus is saying, know this, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of those that make it their life to obey the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These that would be following him as his disciples would recognize, I need the righteousness of Christ on my behalf these who were rejecting him hopefully would recognize i have no hope by my own standard of righteousness so these different levels of insults that are listed off here as jesus talks about as we look at it as see anger as a serious offense to god he goes on to say everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment he wants them to see the sin of their heart that no one else sees As something that God sees that makes it that person liable just as much to judgment as the person who murders. But where he goes on to say, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. These levels of insults and their consequences, they're not necessarily meant to be a prescription for us. To guide us as if we were to think, okay, it's okay for me to call them an idiot as long as I don't call them a fool. That's not what this is meant for. Jesus is teaching that they all carry a a weight that shouldn't be dismissed as being inoffensive to God. And you can understand that the person that is trying to stand in their own righteousness is like, Oh my goodness, how many times do I insult people during the day? Even if not to their face. Murder is a heinous offense that carries drastic consequences and is worthy of God's judgment. But Jesus tells us that anger is also worthy of God's judgment even if anger feels justified. Guess what, folks? Anger always feels justified. Whether you try to rationalize it or not, it always feels justified. You know, we had an interesting experience this past year. We had a spy balloon hover around in our atmosphere and pass over our nation. And then all of a sudden, you know, we hear about another balloon and Ala- something else and flying around Alaska, another one flying over Michigan, another one somewhere else. You know, it kept, on, like, popping up. You know, what? I don't know about you, but I was like, what is going on? Well, what we learned was our national radar system that those who were in charge of its sensitivity decided to turn up the sensitivity on the national radar system. I don't know if that's NORAD or NORAD or whatever. And so because they turned up its sensitivity, they were picking up objects that, you know, science classes were sending up into the atmosphere to see what would happen and things that they normally weren't picking up. This is what Jesus is trying to teach the crowds to start to do when if they're thinking about how do I stand before God? How well is my righteousness measuring up to God? He's like, turn up your sensitivity. If that's what you're going to try to measure, let's turn it up to God's sensitivity to offense of his righteousness. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 7. When he basically says, I was doing pretty good at following the law. I got through commandments one, two, three, all the way to nine, and then I hit commandment ten, where God says, and oh yeah, do not covet. And Paul's like, What the heck? How do you how do you stop from looking at your neighbor's stuff and stop wanting it? And that sensitivity to God's level of righteousness leaves Paul at saying, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. For unbelievers today that that are still rejecting Christ, in these verses, God's unattainable standard is announced by God himself in the person of Jesus. And the result for the unsaved should be thinking, i got to find a better righteousness than my own. That's why Jesus told the, of the parable of the wedding feast in which all of the guests were given wedding clothes to put on. And then the, the father uh, of, the, of the groom is, who's hosting the feast, he looks out and he's like, who's that guy who w- refuses to put on the clothing that I've given him? And they toss him out. God is saying, if you're not going to take my righteousness that I offer you through my son, Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, and clothe yourself with that, understand your pitiful righteousness is not going to measure up. Serious offense for something we often do without even thinking about calls for serious grace. And it was Christ's death and resurrection that purchased that serious grace. For us as believers, God's righteous standard goes much deeper than just our outward actions, Jesus is telling us. God's perfect standard is what even our emotions are judged by. And we should even examine our emotions when we come to seek to remove offense between us and God in confession and celebrating His forgiveness and walking in fellowship with Him. Christians are called to pursue God's higher standard of righteousness, as Ephesians 4 Tells us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And Jesus goes on to speak about a very solemn and sacred and worshipful setting in which one might be reminded... Of their sin. Where he says. So if you are offering your gift at the altar. And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there. Before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Jesus is, is expressing how important this is to God. And I believe that God wants us to see broken relationships. As serious to God. There were certain offerings. In which, in which someone that had made the pilgrimage. To Jerusalem. And was making a, an offering to the Lord. That there would be an altar. That they themselves would be able to. Offer that, that offering. On the altar themselves. And this was a big deal for Galileans. Those that Jesus is speaking to at this point. To make the trip down to Jerusalem. To make an offering. And Jesus is saying, deal with a relational impasse. Dealing with that relational impasse is more important to God. They're like, they're imagining this setting. It's like, I, I just bought this goat. I just killed this goat. I just, it's like ready to use the goat. And you're saying, if I'm sitting there and like, wait, my heart isn't right. That I need to go and make that right. Jesus isn't giving, again, a prescription of, okay, don't walk through these doors unless you have made everything right. That's nearly impossible. He is expressing this is how this this rates in God's mind of how important this is. It's actually the context of 1 Corinthians where we are told to examine ourselves before taking communion. The Corinthians that Paul was writing to, he talks to them about how messed up their relationships are with each other at their love feasts. It has to do with our relationships with each other as we come to the Lord's table is what 1 Corinthians is talking about. The Lord's table that we call communion. That we take it in community with each other. And we should be examining our relationships with each other. Before coming to the Lord's table. God caring about the heart. This didn't start with Jesus. There's many times in the Old Testament where God warns that he cares about the heart of the worshiper as well. Proverbs 15.8 says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. He warns through Amos to the people of Israel. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. And though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fat fattened cat animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the, melo- to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God was never actually fully forgiving during the time of the Old Testament law because a person's offering, even with a pure heart, was still always tainted. Jesus is saying the Father has always been passing over your sin, planning to pour out his wrath on the final perfect This is what Paul describes in Romans 3.25. That Jesus sacrificed himself to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. He was passing over all those falling short, those frailties, those, those broken relationships. He was passing over them. Even as they were sacrificing, Jesus is saying This is the level of righteousness that needed to be met. And you've never met it. He was passing over them, planning to pour out his wrath on the final sacrifice of Jesus. So are we supposed to never worship God unless we've settled everyone's gripe with us? No, that is not what it's saying. But Jesus is telling us that we shouldn't think of God's standard in our relationships as being low. We shouldn't think that God just wants worship and cares nothing about our hearts. The fact is that we have have relational troubles all the time. And God desires for us to work on them in humility and grace as he works on us. Sinful anger may not put a person in jail as a murderer. But it does rob us of our fellowship with God. You've probably heard the African proverb, when two elephants fight, the grass always loses. When there are barriers between two believers, when there are barriers of hurt between us, God is cheated out of his glory. Even if we're still singing in church. Or giving in the box. And Jesus is telling us that he cares very much about it. And think, I think the sins that Jesus targets most here are what I am very often guilty of, dismissiveness and insensitivity. Notice the scenario here. It's not if the person is offering and they recognize they're angry with someone. It's if they're making an offering and they recall that someone has something against them. And maybe the person told them and they were like, you'll get over it. Maybe the teenager was like, that's not fair. And the, the response was not to drag my dad through this, but my dad's favorite response was, I never promised to be fair. man, we need to hear this warning against being dismissive and insensitive to the hurt of others. God's standard of righteousness isn't just satisfied by our outward worship void of attention to hurt that we have caused to others. It's easy for us to justify others' offense as unreasonable or, well, my, my, what I did there, that was unintentional. That is not a Given as a, as a uh, rationale here at all. The inner transformation that Jesus highlights breaks down the compartments that we lump situations into thinking, but I didn't know that I was hurting their feelings. Doesn't matter. God is intent on changing our approach to relationships. He is clear that the context of our relationships with other With others is a place where we also worship Him, and as Jesus did earlier in this chapter, He follows the point by making a a, the seriousness of anger, explaining that with an illustration, trying to seeking to make it clear. He says, "Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court." lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. So he's kind of explaining a, a, a normal situation that they would kind of understand that, that uh, they might find themselves in or, or know of people finding themselves in. He says, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. We have a saying when we are admitting wrong to a friend or family member. Right, we throw our hands up and we say, "So sue me." Right, it's like if it's that big of a deal to you, so sue me. And so this is this similarly is is in a situation where a person rec- is recognizing I've done wrong here. And if the deputy were to show up with a summons on your front porch, you'd probably regret saying, "So sue me." In fact, you'd probably go to your friend and tell them, I wasn't being literal about it. Hold on. I didn't realize this was such a big deal to you. That's the scenario that Jesus is pulling up to illustrate what he's saying about anger and broken relationships. And the importance of getting to them now. Being urgent about it. I believe that Jesus is describing a scenario in which a person is guilty and knows it. They've headed to court with the person they've grieved. And what do they do if they're smart? They try to make amends before they get into the court. And things start rolling and the judgment is inevitable. From this, I want to challenge you to see the time to reconcile as seriously short. For the unbeliever, the accuser that they need to be most concerned with is God himself. Jesus has already labeled anger with someone as being condemnable, just like murder is in God's eyes. And he's also warned that making offerings to God while ignoring someone's grievance doesn't make you more acceptable before God. Just because you made an offering. Now he warns his listeners that procrastinating or avoiding getting things settled isn't wise at all. You know, th- this has been an extremely convicting passage for me to study. I think back to, like, relationships with, that have been impacted for years because of me saying, oh, you know, I don't, I don't understand what, how they see it, but that's not how it happened." Or, or, well, you know, I'm sure they'll get over that eventually. That doesn't honor my Lord. The person that has not thrown themselves on the righteousness of Christ need to understand. Every single one of those sins will be paid for. Jesus warns his listeners, procrastinating, avoiding, feeling things saying, settled is not wise. He, he mentions the, the very last quadrant, or, or it's the Roman penny. It's the smallest of the Roman coins. God's judgment will have no half measures. It will be poured out to the final drop. It will be poured out for all of eternity. Because our sin offends the infinite righteousness of God. some of you remember the t v show get smart <clears throat> right the the bumbling uh uh secret agent who who was just always uh failing forward uh he would he would always make excuses or he would always make he he trying to hide his ignorance or his or his just stupidity uh by by you know he would he would often act like he was totally aware of an enemy's tactics after the fact. Like he would say, oh, I see he used the old anti-personnel pocket pistol under the toupee trick. I was aware of that. Now he would, he would regularly demonstrate, try to demonstrate some super spy move. Or make use of some super spy instrument with just like terrible accuracy. Like not not in, do what he intended at all and his his pridefully dull response would to be show a centimeter with his thumb and fingers and say, missed it by that much. Even though he, he missed it like like missing the broadside of a barn. You know, people do the same when it comes to God's righteousness. We compare ourselves to murderous individuals of history like Hitler or Stalin. And we think of our righteousness compared to God's, and we think, oh, I just I'm just missing it by that much. You know, one of the guys in the men's Bible study shared uh, something that he he uh, learned from, from promise keepers. Uh, one of the uh, speakers, and and it was like, really, we might stand ourselves up to Hitler or Stalin, and we think, oh, I'm I'm way up here, and they're way down there. The reality is, compared to To Jesus' righteousness compared to the righteousness of God. there, There is a minuscule difference between our righteousness and the righteousness of Hitler. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't miss it by that much. This is a warning that Jesus is giving to His listeners who are not following Him, that will not be believing on His death and resurrection for their justification. Those who haven't received Christ as their Savior are in danger and need to repent and be saved. Repent mainly of the, the idea that they can save themselves in their own righteousness. Otherwise, they will be judged for every offense against others. As well as against God himself. And recall. When we uh, sin against someone. It's not as much about what we do. As it is about the person we sin against. Uh, Example. If if you were to come and punch me in the stomach. You know. You'd have. There would be a problem between me and you, and maybe my family, half of them. The ones would say, I wish I would, that I would, would, wanted to do that a long time ago. But if you walked up and, and punched the queen, well, the king of England in the stomach, you probably wouldn't see the light of day for the rest of your life. Because it's not about what you do as much as who you do it to. And in the same way, Jesus is talking about sin against the infinitely righteous God. And infinite judgment requires eternity to pay it off. And that is the scariest part of hell. This is Jesus' warning to those who do not trust him. But we who have trusted Christ as our Savior shouldn't blow off Christ's warnings of the devastating effects of anger and insults and dismissiveness and insensitivity. We should have an urgency when it comes to seeking to heal an offense. When the Lord returns, time is up. And those who know Christ, we will stand be forgiven before God. we will stand in the righteousness of Christ. but, <coughs> but we pardon me, but we will have. Miss the opportunity to glorify God in the situations of hurt feelings. And this section will close with an even more daunting statement about obedience. If what Jesus has said isn't enough. Where he'll say in verse 48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. For those who have not trusted Christ as their Savior... That should make you shake in your boots. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, He has given you His perfection to stand before God in. And it should give us the freedom to seek grace and forgiveness and to give grace and forgiveness to others. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Lord, Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you, Father, for, for sending Jesus to do what must be done. But also to teach us about who you are. To teach us about your righteousness. To teach us about your standard. That we would never measure up to. But yet that doesn't mean that we should just blow it off. Lord, I pray that you would give us the joy of seeking your forgiveness for where we have been dismissive of your righteousness. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the joy of seeking forgiveness for where we have been dismissive with others. Allow us to walk in a more close relationship with you, Lord God, for your glory and for our great good. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.